Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Arch Study of You. I am your host, Cameron Gilmore. The man you are looking at on screen is a four-time Mr. Universe, Neil Cranwell. Before we go into the rest of the accolades, I need to come out and ask this question because it is super, super important for everybody to understand. Neil, as you were laying in the hospital bed, being told that you basically, you know, never going to walk again, couldn't feel from the neck down. I have two questions. One, how did you end up in the hospital in the first place? And then two, what was your initial thought process after hearing the diagnosis from the doctors? Well, yeah, thanks for the introduction. We've got it right second time around. <laughs> <laughs> so all your viewers know he's not perfect. That's right. So, <laughs> okay, so I had a motorbike accident. So I used to ride a, a super sports bike. And I actually used to be in the Met Police, which is like London's version of the police. Um, and I, I'd ride to work every day. So I'd commute on a bike. And I got hit head on by someone pulling out of a, you know, they, people don't look for motorbikes, but motorbikes go really fast, really quick. So as much as, you know, every motorbike cyclist out there will say, it's not us, it's the driver. You know, at the same point, and I'm aware of that, but then bikes go like from zero to 16 seconds, you know? So basically someone pulled out, but they didn't look to the right. They were looking to the left because they were coming across. Obviously we drive on, the left-hand side in the UK. So they were coming across and I just went straight through the windscreen. Um, there used to be an advert in the UK called, uh, it was about motorbike health. And it was, a think, it, you say, think, uh, look left, look right, think bike. And it was to try and make uh, people aware to look again to the right because of this happens a lot. And uh, I hit the car so hard, my I had an arrow helmet which is one of the top brands you can get split in half well none of them things don't break but they don't normally shatter so it's split in half and then i you know just I, the bike flipped over the car i kind of just went through the windscreen and then come out the other side um fortunately there were you know a load of people in london because there always is so i got an ambulance really quickly don't remember much else other than that but when i got to the hospital i remember coming around and my arm, like my right arm was sticking out at like an L shape. So like this bit here was pointing that way. Um, and then a load of doctors and medics and, you know, orderlies, the guys that just push you about, they literally broke my arm back into a straight line whilst I was transferring into the, you know, into the hospital ward without any anesthesia or nothing because they, I don't know, because they said that that's what they needed to do. Um, and then I passed out again, obviously. <laughs> and, um, and when I woke up, I had no feeling from my neck down. So the arm was uh, an obvious problem, but what had happened is I'd shattered both my hips. I'd uh, broke my arm in several places, broke my other hand, um, and I'd fractured my spine. And because of that, I woke up in hospital and all the only thing I could move was my eyeballs. And so... That was what happened. And then, you know, just a blind panic that when you wake up is, yeah, but I will be able to walk again. Yeah, but when will I be able to get up? Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but when? And no one had any answers and no one, had, and they'd done all the scans. There was lots of fractures and it would just depend on time. Um, and so I had the operations that I needed to fix the bro broken bones and joints and issues. But, you know, at the same time, I was, I was in hospital for weeks and weeks and months and months 
just getting bed bath, getting taken to the toilet, just, you know, losing all your faculties and just like allowing it, you know, because I had no other choice. Um, and to be honest, like I've always believed in God, but I've never prayed to God until that moment. And that was when I really found God. And, and like probably loads of people, we, we reach out to him in our times of need when we should reach out to that higher purpose just because. But, you know, it took that to kind of like bring me back to reality, which my reality prior to that was, you know, um, all things that mean absolutely nothing when you haven't got your health. So material items and the next Range Rover, the newest house, uh, you know, leveling up. It was that, you know, which we all kind of get sucked into working towards greater, better things, which are nice. They're lovely. But all the money in the world, I tell all my clients, all the money in the world, won't buy back time and it won't buy back your health. And so they're the most two important things in life. And so it was probably, um, Cameron, the best, worst thing in the world that ever happened to me. Because up until that point, I was probably going down a very shallow existence. And then it brought me back to reality where the little things in life and getting a second chance, man, I was like, I was like born again. And I was, it was in 2009, so... I'm 46 now, so it's you know a good sort of what's that 15 years or so ago. Wow. Okay, hold on. Where where were you in your career when this happened? Be you I mean you were you're working for what we call the police department. Were you in bodybuilding? Were you in physical you know peak performance, or were you just a, a typical guy driving a you know driving a motorcycle where were you in your career or where you were physically so i've i've actually been competing for um nearly three decades for 27 years so that was obviously halfway through that point pretty much so i was competing still whilst i was in the police it was like the ronnie coleman of the uk well not quite <laughs> but he was a competing bodybuilder uh, if anyone doesn't know and um, so I was competing then and I was working towards my pro card as a bodybuilder then and I'd won uh, a Mr. Universe before then um, and I'd won several like UK titles or world championships uh, which are still big events but obviously Mr. Universe is the biggest amateur event you can win uh, and in my career in terms of the police I was working for an undercover like special unit um, which I enjoyed at the time, and that was that was what I was doing. That was, you know, I had a lot of time off work. Fortunately, the police cover a lot of benefits with that sort of injury. Um, but you know, the, the covering the cost of your mortgage and stuff like that, it was I was thankful for it. But at the end of the day, even having a house over your head, I remember lying in hospital and saying, "I will give up absolutely everything I see, the roof over my head." You know, the car that I drive, things that we think are really important, just to be able to brush my own teeth again or wipe my own backside, you know, like just please give me back some you know, sanity and some, you know, some of these things we take from granted day to day. And and up until that point, you know, I think it's really easy for, for many of us to look at mental health or issues with depression. But really, when you take something like that, it knocks them right out of the park because, you know, just to be able to have your faculties about you and be able to be in control of your own body 
But when you haven't for so long, it's so degrading, honestly. It's a very degrading motion. And, you know, once I got out of hospital and they released me, I had to go back to live with my mum as a 30-odd-year-old man. And she had to take me to the toilet and wipe my backside. And this is, this is you know, like, I haven't seen my mum like that since I was about five, you know. So it's, <laughs> it's hard to get your head around it. And it was, you know, it was hard on both of us. Because uh, I couldn't scratch my own nose without asking her to do it, you know, it was... It was it was tough, yeah. Dang, guys, listen listen to what he just said. Now listen, those of you that are are listening to this on you know Spotify and Apple and some of the other streamings, you need to go to the YouTube channel because you can watch the frame of this man who's very massive that you're looking at. Watch as he goes through that as he wishes to have his faculties back. Scratch your own nose, your own mom at the age of 30, having to wipe your backside. You can see his energy shift because he remembers going down that road, going down that road of just being helpless and relying on other people. Here was a man who won Mr. Universe. It wasn't like he was some bum driving a motorcycle. He, he, was, he was competing at a high level. Goes through a car window and all that debilitated him for, for months and months and months. But I also love the point you meant about that mental health and the mental toll. Let me, I'm going to ask you this question. At, at, at any point during the as your recovery process, did you slip into that notion of, I, if, if I'm not here, the world wouldn't care? Or I just want to stop the pain these are the, I could use supplements to stop the pain. Like, how did you not go through a really, really, how did you get out of the dark place? Not go through it. How did you get out of that dark place to start that recovery process? Not just on the physical side, but on the mental side. You know, I think when I was at my worst in hospital, it was easiest. Because when you're heavily sedated, when you're heavily in pain, you know, that's the easiest point because you're, you're sedated, you're half asleep. It's when you start to recover to some extent that then thoughts start to fly around your head. Like, how long is this going to go on for? Will I be able to do this again? And will I be able to have my health back? And as a very physical, active person, like I run for the county, I played football for the county, I, like in the UK... I was like one of those all-round sports kids that grew up in school and played, like, I suppose it's track and field at your school. He was the fastest runner in school. Like I was very athletic. And the biggest, like worst fear for me wouldn't be to die. It would be to be, you know, to have that functionality taken away from me. And that was exactly where I was at my worst place. So, I mean, my mindset was just, you know, I'm not going to lie, you're going to fall into those realms where you're feeling down and depressed. And there was lots of like morphine for the pain, which helped. But there's a point where you don't want to be asleep. There's a point you don't want to sleep through your life. And there's a point where you want to fight back. And I remember getting to this kind of crossroad and realizing like, now I can be that person that sits in the corner of the hospital and thinks, well, that's my life done and be down and depressed. You know, the, the surgeons that come along told me I'd have to learn to write again with my opposite hand because my right arm was so shattered. It wouldn't, they had to fuse it back together straight, so there was no flexibility. 
I'd have to learn to walk again in order to come off a wheelchair, in order to come off crutches. And it was just very, very long ass slow physio. But every single step forward was a win. And I've always said that mentality that, you know, when we look at what we could do in the past, like I can't stand the people I run into in the gyms that used to be somebody. Like no one cares about who you used to be. People care who you are today and who you will be. And so like I might have been able to bench press 200 kilos, but I'd be, if I could just get myself out of bed now, that would be more important. You know, so any movement, just wiggling my finger. The first time I got to wiggle my little finger was like the biggest win for me, better than winning Mr. Universe, right? So like it's taking the small wins and then taking that as a big achievement and a step in the right direction and focusing on that. And I remember telling the surgeons because they said, listen, you're never going to be able to bodybuild again. Your career's over. You won't be able to lift weights again because of the way we've had to kind of uh, nail your arms back together with plates and pins. You just won't have mobility. Like the best we can do is try get you back on your feet. But, you know, at this point, we don't know whether or when that will be. So I just remember lying and thinking, I'm going to prove you wrong. And, you know, you hear this a lot, but those people with that mindset that you'll prove others wrong and you will achieve, you know, your goal, like that's all I, all I could hone in on. Because if I didn't, I know I would go down into a dark place. But like you said there, there's no, you know, without darkness, there is no light. And mm -hmm. you, I think we all have to experience some dark to enjoy the light that we, we get to live with. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Look, if you don't want to rip your shirt off at this point and just scream, you've got no pulse. Go check your pulse. I, I want to listen, guys. Let me let me run down the accolades, okay, up to this point. I, I Neil's being humble. He, he you know, he gave us a let me do this. Uh, uh modelmayhem.com did an article on you, and, and this is where I pulled this from. Listen, he said, and I'm gonna quote you, quote. Uh, you've been competing in the UK, US, and Australia, multiple bodybuilding champions, including Mr. Titan, 26 in 2006-2007, and NAC British champion, 2008, and currently currently winner of WPF Mr. Universe, 2009, and NAC world champion, 2010. Listen, this guy was at a peak. He was starting to increase. You do not get those accolades without putting in hard work. To go from that to being, I just would love to use my 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 extremities by myself. Think of that. Think of how you have to push through that. That is, it is absolute pure genius. Man. Give me, give me one or two points, Neil, that you, when you're coaching people, and when they go in, they start to get into this. This I can't attitude. I will tell my children, the F word is 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 a bad word, hundred percent. Taking the Lord's name in vain. That's the that's the, I do not deal with that. But when you say I can't, that's just up there. That's right there, equal with the F word. The word I can't, I it, I, I trigger. Give me through this experience, this first experience, because we've got a few others to talk about. This experience that you went through, elevation now at the deepest level and back up how then are you one to how are how do you empathize with your clients but also 
extrapolate the best of them because of this this experience that you went through? Well, you know, when I was younger, and like if you go back to around that time prior to that event, I was really hard nosed. You either do it or you don't. You either want it or you don't. And you know, and if you're not willing to put in the work, then don't waste my time. You know, I've got plenty of other clients that are willing to put in the work. And I was really hardballing people into, you know, success. But you limit lots and lots and lots of people that way. Um, since having the accident, it made me reflect more greatly on the vast community of people that perhaps haven't got that same mindset. Like if when someone tells me they can't go to the gym, they didn't make it two times this week, and they've only got a schedule of hitting the gym twice a week. I think, Jesus Christ, Like I would have given anything to go to the gym twice a week. Listen, I'll get up at 4 a.m. and go to the gym twice a week. If it means I could go when I was in that hospital bed, if it meant I'd have my, you know, my energy back and my life back, who wouldn't? But you can't, you know, it's very easy for you to say that unless you've gone through a big hard notion like that to really smack you in the face and wake you up to life. So people do need nurturing in different ways. And I think with a lot of people, it just leans on having support and accountability. You know, so I think it's great that when when my clients know my background, they can say, wow, this guy's walked to life. He's lived it. He's come back from it. Not only once, but two, three, four times I've had big life-threatening injuries. That's just the first one of many that we'll get onto. But, and, and, you know, I like in the UK, I've been competing for so long. People call me the bionic man. There used to be a series on TV. <laughs> and the keys has rebuilt time and time again. And that's me. And every time I had an injury, though, I would just look at it as like, this is my chance to prove something back to myself, to take things up another level. Like, because you can freeball yourself into quite good shape. When you're already in shape, it's not too hard to stay there, but you can get complacent. So sometimes having these setbacks only made me a better version of me, which then allowed me to see how I could coach a better version of me onto other clients. And so for many, many people, small steps, that small step attitude that I mentioned earlier, that's the way that you move great boundaries. You need small steps. You need to make notes of them. You need to put them notes all over the place. So you've got a constant visual reminder of the small steps you want to achieve. And before you know it, them small steps are achieved and you get to the greater ones that you want to achieve. And you'll look back and see, wow, like how I've transformed. So, you know, like every, like I said earlier, every small step's a win. And, and that's why I try and get over to, to guys that have a, you know, they can't drive past McDonald's without slipping in there, you know take a different route to work let's remove the visual reminder that's causing you a problem if it means you've got to add two minutes to your journey because you take a different route take it because that change of action has no impactive decision that you've now got to deal with and once you once you create that new habit after time you don't want to go to mcdonald's anymore you know it's them simplistic things that i've worked out over time how to steer people around their boundaries because listen not everyone out there is going to be Mr. Universe. Not everyone out there is going to be a bodybuilder or professional athlete. Most most people aren't. Most people just want to live five, ten years longer. And why shouldn't you? You know. So, and to be honest, the clients that I coach, and I've you know coached over three thousand clients now over twenty seven years, so a hell of a lot of people. My most my most rewarding clients are those that have changed their lifestyle. 
So they 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 miss the universe win is seeing their grandkids grow up, being there to actually join in with their grandkids and play in the park rather than be that old dad or granddad that's just too knackered and lazy to do anything with. Like, what good is that? Because you haven't looked at your health when you're in your 30s, 40s, and maybe early 50s and reclaim that. So that them, them guys, I see massive changes or bringing diabetes out of their life or taking blood pressure back down. But them, them to me now are my big wins. I still compete now, but to be honest, like I get almost more reward from coaching people into excelling, like the new version of turning Cameron into Cameron 2.0. <laughs> oh my gosh. Guys, master class. You have just learned. and We could stop here. We could call it a day. You if you're listening to this, there are two points that he made that are super impactful. Two. Point number one, small steps, small victories. The second one, which is just as big, if you're not writing it down, you won't do it. Did you catch that when he said, well, you only wrote it twice to go to the gym and you missed both times? The habit forming. If you want to create a habit, you got to write it down. If you want to create a goal, you have to write it down. If you want to change the way that you live, you have to write it down. Take a different route to work. I love that. If you want to be the best version of yourself, you have to write it down. Because if you don't, you will never, ever, ever achieve it. Don't believe me? Go back, rewind it, six minutes, seven minutes, and listen to what Neil just said. If that's not a slap in your face, (laughs) this isn't for you. I apologize. I probably shouldn't have said that. But you know what? It is what it is, and I'm I'm sticking to it. (laughs) You also said something I want to touch on because you're not out of the woods. You weren't out of the woods. Back broke, pins everywhere, reconstruction on your hand. Now your body's starting to feel better. You're starting to do better. And this is a shout-out to uh, mirror.com or mirror.co.uk for this article they wrote on you. Quote, Neil in 2009 broke his back during a training exercise. The former policeman said, I cannot believe my luck. One minute I was training, doing deadlifts, and the next minute I felt something pull, and I was on the floor in agony. The ambulance took me to the hospital where the doctor confirmed that my back was broken. I went on to recovery and get myself fit enough to join the Met Police and pass the the fitness test period or fitness test. However, I then tore my, my bicep right off uh, right off when uh, tire flipping, strongman training was in Ireland doing a seminar with your fellow bodybuilder and active channel presenter, Dean Ash. But the very same year I recovered and won WPF, Mr. Universe, which is a major title uh, to win in any massive achievement that we're all proud of. Okay. What the heck? You just recovered from not being able to move? And now you hurt your back and t- and tear your bicep? Please explain what the heck happened. <laughs> so uh, I think once I slowly started recovering and had lots of physio and lots of uh, and acupuncture, like if anyone's out there with injuries or issues, uh, acupuncture was absolutely gold for me to change how deep that can get into the muscle trauma and release it. You know, because when you have an injury, the muscle will tighten up. So when I broke my back, it was 
uh, you know, it was a really painful experience, but not until I finished the set. So that, that, that deadlifting was actually part of a strongman medley event. So when I'd recovered from the bike accident, which took about two years, which is fast, I think, but felt like a lifetime, I needed a different angle to train towards because I was told I couldn't bodybuild and stuff. And I needed something more refreshing. So strongman's a completely different way to train. Rather than you pump the weights till your muscles burn and you just got to put up with the pain for as long as you can, you know, strongman, you lift one great big ass weight from point A to point B as fast as you can. So it's a, it's a more rewarding way to train in lots of ways because in bodybuilding, you're it's probably the only sport that you don't do in training what you do on the day. Like on the day, you're in your spangly posing trunks flexing about, right? You're not lifting any weights up. Right. right? In strongman, if you can lift this heavy ass weight across that line in five seconds and you do that on the day, you'll win the race. So it's almost a fairer way of judging. Bodybuilding is very subjective. It's down to a panel of judges, someone's opinion. There's not a start and a finish line. So it can be very frustrating. So once I got back into, you know, some form of health, you know, I had the, I had a new life. I had a new start at being fit and physically active. And why shouldn't I take advantage of that? So I started looking at other ways to train. I still enjoyed, but I still bodybuilded as well. But I'd done strongman. So this medley of events was four events. So it was a tombstone carry, which is you carry a 20 stone tombstone, literally a tombstone. And you carry it for like 20 meters there and back, and then you deadlift, and then you pull a great big sled, and then eventually you do something called a duck waddle, which is which is a great big like steel drum with a tiny T-handle that you got hold between your legs, and you waddle, you switch, waddle, 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 but so heavy. And it was actually on that that my back broke. I felt it click and go, but I had like four or five massive burly British bodybuilders screaming in my head, or strong men, don't put that effing weight down, get across that line. And with all the adrenaline, I just kept going. When I got over the line and put the weight down, wow, like that was just game-changing pain that just soared up me and knocked me off my feet. Couldn't sit down, couldn't lie down, didn't know what to do myself. Went off to hospital. So I'd fractured my spine at the L1, L2, which is right at the bottom. But I'd also herniated two discs from doing it. So that was where the acupuncture helped because it reduced the inflammation around them discs. But I had acupuncture and I saw physios for about two years of pain, like literally pain. And again, unfortunately, I was back on pain medication because I literally couldn't get out of bed. The worst time of day was the morning. Wake up and I was so stiff. And if I got going, it was okay. And then later on in the day, you know, your, the back pain was immense. And the tablets to, like, to take down the pain were so strong, they would just, you know, absolutely wipe you out. So you're either in pain or you're half asleep. So you've got very, like, very limited productivity, very hard to do any work. And there I am again facing this whole ordeal of recovery, not knowing if my back will heal, not knowing if I'm going to have to have surgery. My mother actually uh, was thrown off a horse when she was young and had back surgery. And she's had the worst time of it ever since. And so we almost, so everyone in our family were like so put off by having back surgery because we've seen her struggle for all her life since having it. 
that I was very, very precautious about having surgery. Till it got to the point two years later that I was so fed up and frustrated and depressed in pain that this was the second time around that depression really waved its flag at me and reared its ugly head. And I, I was just, I think pain medications are not good. They lead you down a path of depression anyway. So they're a quick fix, but a long-term downward spiral. But I was reliant on them. And like many people out there are, they get reliant on them. And it actually gets you quite depressed in them, in themselves. But without them, I was in lots of pain. So that's, you know, I've got an excuse. And that was where I was coming from. But unfortunately, it got to two years and I was like, I'm, I'm really getting down in my life. I'm like, got no mojo, no motivation. Like... I didn't want anything to do with my marriage. I was just really unhappy because I was just living in pain. It's like, you know, living with a toothache that's burning you all the time. So I booked in to see my osteo again. Um, this time he's like, listen, we've been doing this work on you now for two years. I've spent a fortune every week with him. Um, so, you know, it's it's where do you want your quality of life? And I'm like, I'm going to have to gamble the quality of life on a back operation. So we booked a back operation to fix my back, which would be to put, um, you know, plates on your spine to, to like basically frack your lower back L1 and 2 would now be solid. Um, but it would it would appease the break. Um, and then I booked in with the surgeon and the day before surgery, I woke up and all that praying to God going to church since the first accident had come back to pat me on the back and lift me up because I, the day before, I I'd, I'd literally, I'd woke up every day in the worst pain of my life, having to then knock a load of painkillers down. And I woke up and there was no pain. And I was like, what? This is weird. I, I, I can't remember this. My God, like, if you when you're not in pain, like that sort of pain, like the energy I had that day. So I went back to see my osteo. We'd done all the scans again. And the, the fracture had finally healed. So the pain had gone. So I cancelled the operation. But I was left with two slip discs. I've still suffered with them today. Obviously, you can't push them back in. Um, so I have to have constant like ongoing treatment to just to appease that so I can carry on training and stuff. But realistically, I was very, very fortunate because I could have, I could have booked that operation a week before. And then here I am now back from that and I went on from that to win another Mr. Universe, the second one, um, which then because of um, winning that, I started presenting on TV, which is what you mentioned with one of my other co-hosts, Dean Ash. And there was a Sky Fitness channel called uh, The Active Channel. And we both presented on that for years. And Ireland's very close to the UK and they're really, really big into fitness. So they flew us over to do a weekend seminar. Uh, it was all red carpet. It was lovely. But whilst doing a training camp with all these Irish like competitive bodybuilders that want to like, learn from us, um, you know, I've done the silly thing that men do when we want to beat our chest and act like <laughs> idiots. When, you know, I've there's two great big farm tires there in the gym, which, you know, gyms have these days for tire flipping. Mm -hmm. And none of the guys in the gym could do it. But obviously, I've had experience doing strongman because I've trained in it for a while. Um, so I'm like, I can do that. Of course, I can do that. So I flipped the tire and then, but you can't do that again. Flipped it the second time, which it didn't go over. 
it fell back down. I grabbed it just the knee jerk reaction and it just snapped my bicep off. Okay. I I need my brain has exploded, exploded from what you just said. I want to ask this question. It's not always a fun topic for people to listen to, but that's okay. You said something that was very interesting. When you went through your first major recovery, the major issues, um, you started praying to God. And you you went to him and you prayed and you prayed. And you had since been praying to him up to that point and continued. The divine intervention that happened the day before, the night before a, a surgery that could have really altered the quality of life. Since that point, how has your view shifted how, on when you cast something to the universe, we'll call it God. When you say when you when you cast it, the time it may not be an instant reply. It may not be an instant, yes, you can have it, but it is a steady progression. How has your faith increased from now walking, now all using all your your extremities and not having a back fused together with metal plates? How has your faith increased and how are you able to to share that with clients that you work with? Or if you don't, how do you help them say, cast in the universe and it will come back? Um, I, I believe that, I one thing I can't believe or can't stand is preaching to people. So I, I don't believe in that. And we have these town criers that are out there preaching about God and stuff. And we have them in every city in the world. I'm sure you have them there. I don't believe in that. I don't think you can force anything down anyone's throat. And I think when the time's right for someone, they will then, they will present itself for that person. So, you know, like you could be a smoker, Cameron, and you want to quit. And I could tell you to quit. And I could give you all the reasons to quit. But until you decide that, that flick that switch in your head that you're going to do it, you won't convert and not, you know, and not smoke or you won't convert to a faith or whatever it may be. So, I've never pushed anything on people, but I believe in ev that everyone should look to a higher purpose or a higher power because those people that I'm surrounded by that do are much greater individuals, well-rounded people with better outlooks on life. Now, in the UK, we have you know a good Muslim community as well, and I train you know many Muslims that are into you know Ramadan's coming up tomorrow. And their faith is fantastic, you know, their faith and their belief and and all that the Quran teaches them and the way that they they cycle their lives because of that higher belief, I think makes them a better person. And so I, I think it's very dependent on anyone. I would never thrush. Listen, I, I never followed God until that accident happened. Uh, I've always believed that something was there. I think it's it, it's it makes us feel a little bit more cozy at night that perhaps someone else is watching over us if everything ends. But, you know, I think that realistically, when you look at your life, if you can see the greater picture and the, uh, and have faith in something, then you're not just this tiny little dot in, in, of, of existence. I love that answer. I love that answer. Because you said something, people that you surround yourself with that believe in a higher power, call it what you want, you know, God, Allah, the universe, and, and Native American, right, uh, the great spirit, whatever it may be, 
said something key, which was there just seemed to be a happier people. Hundred mm, percent. Man, that's so good. Guys, I need you to understand something. The accident he had was it? He said it. Yeah, he, knee jerk reaction. He caught it and he tore his bicep. No, no. Listen, L- listen to what he told me about the bicep. Tore the bicep right off, right during that tree, that, that training exercise. Three surgeons told him, right? Three surgeons uh, went through multiple surgeries. Could have been a career ending. How bad? I mean, three surgery. But give us a little bit more in depth. How how really bad? When you think about it now, how bad was that that injury to your right bicep? So you know, so because I've had so many injuries, Cameron, the bicep one was where well, you know not so bad, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, but like actually, the healing and recovery of it was was a lot easier because you your arm's strapped here, so you you can't do much with it. But you listen when you can't walk or move your arms, and you can't brush your teeth, and then you still got one arm that you can do all of those things with. You're all right, you know. It's not that bad. And and so it wasn't the end of the world because I'd been through bigger injuries prior, but the bicep had actually split right down the middle, which is very rare. Bicep injury normally tears off at the insertion because the muscle's fat at the middle and comes thinner towards where it inserts. So it's normally the thinner point that pops off. But mine tore in the middle. So when I went to have surgery on it, and I would always recommend like having surgery because your muscles are there for a reason. If you leave the muscle and don't have it surgery reattached, then it's going to flap about. It won't contract and and you're not going to get the full use back out of it. So when I went to a surgeon, they just hadn't done them operations where you basically I was explained that it was it was like sewing up two pieces of steak with some uh, fishing uh, fishing line. So as soon as you pull on that, it's just going to tear through. And, and, and you know, I went to second um consultant take a second opinion he wouldn't do the surgery either so again i'm creeping towards that you know dark place where like is this the end of my bodybuilding career because now one of my biceps flapping down by my you know by bottom of my my arm looking like (laughs) god knows what so there's no symmetry whatsoever which is huge in bodybuilding and then you know i didn't give up i just kept researching the best surgeons the best surgeons Went right up to Harley Street, which is probably, you know, you've heard of over there, but Harley Street's like our like highest area of expertise in the UK, in London, and found a surgeon that had done four or five of these re- uh, recovery surgeries with rugby players and boxers that had done the same sort of thing. So he was happy to take me on and done the surgery. It was an ultra slow process to recover because, you know, you are knitting back two pieces of meat. And the only thing that's going to heal that knit is time and scar tissue. So you have to allow the scar tissue to cement. So, you know, like it's little things like waking up in the middle of the night, go for a pee. You know, we all do it. You get up in the night, you just push yourself off the bed to get out of bed. If you've done that, that's the end of your bicep. It would rip. So, I, you know, it's, it's little things like that that you had to not do. You know, like grab a glass of water with your right arm. It would rip it at the early stages. So once I got past that and that recovered, you know, it it took time to get like any of these injuries. It takes time to get your um, mojo back, you know, to get your the nerve back to take them exercises back 
gone because you feel like you're going to just rip it back into into the place that it's just come from. But, you know, you, again, we go back to small steps. You do the smallest little incremental improvements and you move forward. And where I have come across so many people that want to reclaim their fitness, their figure, their lean, like six pack again, or reclaim their health, they're living in the past of the version they were when they were at college. And they used to do this and they used to be able to do that. And if they go back to trying to do any of that now, they won't be able to. They'll be able to do the most minuscule amount of that, but not see that that's one step in the right direction more than they're doing today. And, and so that these stories are actually helpful for me to convert clients into taking a step in the right direction. Because, you know, if you meet someone that's come back and back and back and back again, and they still restart and reclaim themselves back up to a high peak and a high level, then why can't I, as a client with no injuries, all I've got is just my own like self-belief and accountability that's preventing me. So it, it, it has got a handy point in terms of, um, you know, persuading people into achieving their best. <laughs> Guys, if you haven't um, read this book, go, go read it. Um, it's called The Upper Limit by Gay Hendricks. What Neil is telling you is that his upper limit, the, the his thought process of what he can achieve has been broken multiple times. Because of what he's been able to go through, his upper limit is, is universe. And when he coaches and teaches and helps individuals become the best versions of themselves, it's easier to help them break through their upper limits from what he just said. I haven't had any injuries, client. I, there's nothing wrong with me. You've been through hell, and yet you're still here. I think I can do a little bit more when Neil is probably telling him, you can do a little more, give a little more, push a little harder, kick out the negative thought, allow the positive to come in. Absolutely huge. Let me ask this question, because obviously I can, because you know I'm the host. <laughs> Where... Where does this internal fire come from, from not letting, you know, things It's like the world would say, you had plenty of opportunities to just throw in the towel, call it quits. I'm going to try a less profession that's not so demanding on my body, but more on my mind. Where, where does this all fire deep burn come from to help you fulfill your greatness? I don't, do you know that's a really good question because I've, I've looked at that I've got a brother and he's a couple of years older than me and, and, and I'm very much a go after it type of person you know when I was at school I was you know I was because I was very limited with cash funds as a kid growing up we lived up in the council estate etc and we got food stamps you know for, for your school dinners I mean that's you only get them when you're skin skin right so I swapped them food stamps. I sold them to the other kids in school for like less than they're worth to go and buy a load of bread and cheese and a toaster and then make bread and cheese toasties on my lunch break and sell them to triple my money. <laughs> and and I've always had that way of looking at life. Like what you do, you could always find a better way of earning more from it or being a greater version of yourself. And yet my brother isn't in the same way minded. So I'm not sure where that comes from. We both had the same upbringing. But where 
what I have always, you know, really wanted to achieve is like to be the best version of an adult and a parent to to my kids. So as I grew up, I always wanted to have boys. Unfortunately, I've got two boys, um, but I never had a dad. And so I never had that male dominant figure. And so I think that some of it comes from that. So that I've, you know, some of it I believe has come from that willing to be that version, that superhero, that somebody that your kids will look back and think, wow, my dad has been able to do this. My dad's been able to do that. My dad's been injured, but he doesn't let it phase him. You know, my dad's come back from all of these things because we all get knocks in life, no matter how great. And I've always wanted to instill that upon my kids and know that from an early age that not having a role model meant that I would want to be what I think my best version of a role model, if I had had a dad, would have been. Did You guys, did you catch that? He's saying that his he wants his son, his two boys, to look at him as the role model. Nothing externally, nothing outside the home, nothing what they see on TV or on social media or anything else. Dad is the role model. Dad is the superhero. Think about that as a parent. Think about that as you that are, you, you know, you young kids that are, 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 are not married or they're, you know, you're not even dating. You're still running around. What does that thought process help you with on being that I want to be the best version I can for myself? So those that will follow me can say, that is my hero. Man, that is freaking good. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's good, Neil. We could stop, but obviously we won't because we've got <laughs> we've got another tragedy. Shocking, <laughs> I know. I know. You guys are thinking, what more could go wrong? Right? What more? Now it's more of the mental battle. We talked about this a little bit more. I want to deep it, dive a little bit deep into, you know, after all these that could have been career injuries, the, the physical side, you know, when you when you and your ex-wife uh, divorced, when you went through that, that divorce, take us through a little bit about the mental battle. Because it's a lot different from the physical battle. Now you're dealing with an emotional side, an emotional attachment. Take us through how how did you not allow that to pull you down or did you and if you did how did you build out of it mm. so that's a good question so i being brought up by just a single mum and you know she acted as mum and dad for me i never have ever thought i've been without because she done a great job um but i've always seen her rather be happy on her own and be unhappy in a relationship. And I think there's lots of toxic, unhappy relationships. And I think we all can say we we have friends and colleagues or people we know that talk bad of their other half. You know, and I would always hate that scenario to be my life. And unless you're completely invested in your relationship, like you are in your job or into your children or whatever, I think that you need, you've only got one life, you've got a short life, Mine's had some tragedies or tragic accidents in it. But you need to take, like, like it was having that accident, that first motorbike accident, that made me realise that you need to take this by both hands and run with it and live the moments that you've got. Because you don't know how long they're going to live. 
And if you're unhappy and you can't work things out, then go and be happy. And so it was the right decision for me, but we'd had a, we'd had a child at the time who was only young. And so my priority was making sure that he was happy. And I don't think my point of view, as much as it's important to have a mother and father in a home, it's, I don't think it's healthy to be for a child to grow up in a rowing household and an unhappy energy. But that's not, I think there's a there's a strong argument for both. But your children are only so young for so long that you can kind of hide that from them when they get to an age where they see it. So it was at that age that I made the decision that it would be easier to, or better for, the, for my youngster, who's now my oldest boy, to not see that growing up. So, um, yeah, I mean... It was high. All I ever wanted as a kid was to live as, you know, as old as, and as happily married as my nan and granddad, you know, that fought through the war and, you know, waited to come back from prison camp and all the rest of it, which no one does these days. No one's got an ounce of patience, you know. So as I, you know, if you, if you, we talk things out and you can't make it happen, the best solution was, you know, to, to live separately with, with, you know, joint custody of, uh, of, uh, of my, eldest boy now you said something that's very untraditional and oftentimes can be very unpopular you said something that when the child sees the negative energy in the home i love how you use negative energy because that's what it is you know mm. the fighting and the bickering it is negative energy it's better it was you felt in your opinion you felt that it was better to remove the negative energy so the child can then grow up in positive when he goes to, you know, visits mom, visits you, he's engulfed in positivity. Now, what, whether or not you choose to, you know, talk negatively about the other and vice versa, that's, that's the adult decision. That's not the child's decision. Yeah. you. I love that point that you made is children need to grow up in the most positive energy house possible and you're right if the time if it's that's not it and you work try to work through it and work it out it doesn't work you know in your situation it was best to say let's just split so our kids can have a positive impact growing up oh man dang that's good dang that's good how how was that because I've been I mean, obviously I had a two year battle with my divorce. It was more on the custody side. The divorce side was pretty easy, you know. That was a couple of months, but it was the whole. Have your children blossomed? Did they, or are they still are they still seeing um, the effects of that currently? Like how how have you as a dad now, a single dad, how have you done the best you can to to give them? space and let them work through the process of their emotions um well my eldest son was very good at living separate lives in each other's uh, each parent's home so he never would bring anything across from one to another and he knew that in this household he gets treated like this and in this household he's treated like that and so it was very easy to be honest because he was a very good easy boy in order to 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 go through that um but my custody battle with him was similar to yours it wasn't as straightforward as a shared custody it started that way 
Um, but unfortunately, I had to step in and take control of that situation because his mother weren't in a good fit space. Um, you know, after we'd been separated about a year or so, she tried to take her life. And so at that point, obviously, she's in hospital and I had to you know, take my son, Luca, back from her. And then, you know, then um, that's when the custody battle really commenced. And so when she got her health back, she obviously wanted to see Luca again. And, and that's where we went through that whole ordeal of, is she fit enough? Is she well enough psychologically, you know, psychiatrically? Uh, is her, her mental state in a good spot for him? And, you know, it's, and and then, you know, it went through the court battle and and, and it was a long and drawn out um, situation. Um, but I never, and we, to both of our credits, we never badmouthed either one of us. We both know, we both knew, you know, that we're both good parents. She just wasn't in the right frame of mind. And so I just needed to make sure that her health was back in the right spot. Uh, and it went on for a while, and uh, actually the courts awarded me full custody of my, my youngest boy from the age of three. That's, that's awesome. Because now, you I mean, you, look, you did everything amicably you could. You saw, hey, look, this is the best decision. And it's panned out that way. It's panned out the way where you could, you guys, no, no backbiting, no negative, no ill talk from both sides, which is fantastic. Because that's how it should be. That's how it should be when there's two adults make the decision. We can't get along, but let's focus on our ch our children and help and make sure that they have everything that they need to be the best versions of themselves. Mm, 100%. I need to ask this because now we have a little bit, right? A little, you have had, if you guys haven't noticed from this entire conversation, massive, massive trials in your life which you've been able to overcome. You've been able to push through both mentally, both emotionally, both, you know, physically. You, you, you said something and you wrote something to me that, you know, this last year, their mom unexpectedly died. Mm. Right. Leaving, leaving you all in shock. How now are you drawing on your experiences to help your child or your children cope with the loss of a mom. You know, it's tough. It, it's very hard. And it's, I think the hardest thing for any parent is not to be able to take the pain away from your kids. And when they're in pain, and, and it's emotional pain, like we've just had Mother's Day, uh, that was a long weekend for me. There was lots of tears. It just restirs everything. You know, and it's hard. And I haven't got the answers. I want to take it away. But you can't you can't go and buy a PlayStation 5 and it's gone. The pain's gone. It's not as easy as that. You can't go on, listen, I've took my son to Disneyland, to Egypt, on all sorts of holidays to just try and stem a couple of weeks of heartache. But it's not solving the problem. It's just putting a plaster over it. And it's just something that he's got to deal with, you know, himself with time. Um, he, you know, he's he has, kind of, I think, one of the most important things is to speak about it. So I get him to speak to me. We speak about it. He has a counsellor, which he sees every every two weeks, which helps as well. Uh, you know, and he's got round to it, but there's always setbacks. You know, you can be having a good few weeks running nice and smoothly, and then there'll be a reminder. He might have a play date with one of his friends, and their mum's super nice, made a lovely dinner, and it's just kicked him off because he remembers his mum used to be like that. Mm. You know, so there's there's lots of, you know, constant reminders. It's tough. 
Um, and to be honest, they're harder than all the injuries recover for me. I think, listen, when you've got your own pain, that's one thing. But, you know, we can put up with our own pain. And I'm really good at putting up with pain. I'm covered in tattoos. I'm cut on train all the time. Like pain is not a problem to me. But it's like your kid's pain is just something else that you can't take away. And my my clients that train really hard, I will always say to them when they're trying to find that little extra, that extra push, and they've just not got it, that imagine if your kid's life was on the line, could you do five more reps? Could you do 10 more minutes? You know, when you start looking things like that, you're, could I? You know, what am I pissing about for? Of course I could. You know, so, you know, it's it's very tough, you know, and it's hard because I can't control it. And I love control like, as a person and as a coach and as a, you know, my, my career is being in control of myself, my coming back from my own injuries, controlling people's diets and their training plans so they progress. Control is, is a very nice, safe place to be. And when you haven't got it, it's a very hard place when you're left in limbo just seeing what the next day brings. But, I mean, I'll, I'll throw in some actual truth, which I don't think you know, is I've got two boys. But when I got divorced, I remarried. So several years later, a few five years later or so, I remarried. And I remarried and had a second little boy with a different, um, different relationship. And so both of my boys lived with me. And then, unfortunately, after four or five years, we got divorced. Um, and then... The my second wife through COVID, through the stress of COVID, the depression of whatever that it done to people. Um, so going back three years now, she just decided to go to Mexico and never come back. They just left her son or our son, which we had shared custody. And so now I'm left with two boys. One cries because he hasn't got a mum. The other one cries because his mum's left him. And now both of the boys are fighting. Well, at least you've got a mum. And you know it's a it's a tough it's a tough place at times. So all again, all I can say to Cameron is I can just always tell them I'll never leave you boys. I'm here for you no matter what. And you know, look at me. I've come back from all of these issues, and look at me today. You guys can do it too. I believe in you. You know. So there's another story. <laughs> oh, that's looking. I was trying to throw something. Neil, stop it! That I didn't know that. No, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, didn't bring that part into the uh, party, but yeah, don't overwhelm you with too much info. <laughs> you guys, listen globally. Listen, listen. We are in nine countries. Everybody has struggles. Everybody has trials. Everybody has tribulations. This is why we do the show. This is why we bring people on. Like Neil, you see, you you all the links will have all the social media links will have everything. You will go look at this man on the outside. You will see he is been chiseled. It's like it's like a Greek god came down and chiseled him and said, "Boom, here you go." And we all look at him and go, "Good night." He's massive, but when you break it down bit by bit, he has been through physical rebuild multiple times mental rebuild multiple times spiritual rebuild multiple times and now the hardest thing he's telling you that he has to do is consult two boys two boys who are fighting one whose mom is not on this earth and one whose mom is on this earth but has is in nowhere near think about that 
Think about what he just said the last little bit. And then ask yourself, like he asked his client, can you do one more for your kid? Can you do one more if your child's life depended on it? Could you do one more if you knew that it would put a smile on your on your kid's face? You don't have to go through all the divorce, the pain, none of that. You could be married. I have plenty of friends that have been married for multiple years, you know, 20 plus years. But maybe, just maybe you can have a little self-control and not eat and gorge yourself as much. Maybe get out and walk more. Maybe get out and go to the gym. Maybe get out and go see nature. Maybe put down the, the, the video game controller or the computer controller. Maybe put that down just a little bit. So you can enjoy what you have in front of you. <laughs> Let me go. This is, I knew this was going to be an absolute banger, but this is life altering, life shattering. This is absolutely amazing. You will go back and listen to this multiple, multiple times. The beauty is I get to listen to this before it actually drops multiple times. Neil, a gem you are. I'm asking this question. I have to. Tell me, take me through your daily process. How, with all that you have on your plate, I want to know, take me, take us into your, that space. What does your day look like? Mm, so, so I left the police after six or seven years um, and opened my own gym. And that was when I was married and I had two gyms. Um, but owning a gym, if anyone knows about it, absolutely sucks the time out of your day. You're there for 14 hours a day. Uh, you know, I had a 24-hour gym, which was always manned. And your business only does, no matter what business is, as well as it, it can when the owner is present. When I was there, it would do fantastically well. So it would, it would be important to me to be at the gym. Now, when I see these situations setting themselves up, I realize that this is not going to be viable for me to be able to take the kids to school, to pick them up from school, to take them to after school clubs, to run around bathroom at night. You know, with a gym, I would be there from six in the morning till 10, 11 at night. Like, how am I going to be a father and, and a mother and, you know, own a business? It's just not possible. So when you've got two parents, you can order your shifts and work mornings, evenings and work it around. But when you're on your own, I needed to make a different decision. So that's when I moved into the online space, knowing that as an online coach, my reach is far bigger. So I can reach worldwide. I have clients as far as uh, Australia. And obviously, I'm in the UK, which is opposite, completely opposite side of the world. And it allowed me to be in control of my own diary, my own time, but still do what I love and still be around that industry. Um, it was the best thing I ever done because... I have absolutely no problems with any issues of childcare because I'm in charge of my time. So I can take my kids. So my day, to answer your question, looks like this. I get up at 5 a.m. and I'll do an hour of cardio and like deep work, which is like the promoting stuff for my business. Um, so that's two hours before the kids need to get up for school. If I don't do that, then I have a slower time for the rest of the day. I think it's really important to set up your day from the, an early start. So, you know, like setting up habits and see you've got a book behind you, probably one of my favorites, Atomic Habits. 
And I think if anyone hasn't read that book, you need to get involved with that because that's absolutely life-changing and simplistic ways of setting up a greater version of you. And, and so if I get up early, I can get an hour of exercise in, which many people moan that they haven't got time, but you just need to get up earlier. You need to sleep faster. You need to find time and you can make excuses. And most of the excuses I get are time and practicality. But if you, like as a single dad, I will then take them to school. I'll then try, I still personal train clients. I'll do two or three clients on the bounce straight after the school drop. It'll take me to lunch. I'll then come back to my laptop and do two or three calls to the States where lots of clients in America. Then I'll go back and get my kids from school. Then it's dinner, bath, or that whole routine. And then I'll have two or three clients in the evening. Um, now, at that point, I'll either get one of the mother, the um, the nannies in, like the, their grandparents in to cover, or the boys will have to come with me to the gym and do their homework at the gym for two hours while I train two clients. They've done it all their life. They grew up in my gym, so it's not too not disassociated for them. So they'll do their homework there. Then, then I'll put them in bed when we get back, and then I'll do about three or four hours of phone calls to Canada with my clients in Canada, and I get to bed about 12 o'clock every night. I probably last watched a film on Netflix about a month ago, and I don't often get time to put the TV on because... It's either TV or spending time with my kids. So obviously the children always win that race, right? And and I think it's hugely important that the time you do get, when you are, are limited and you are the sole parent and you've got to do it all. And, you know, like what I haven't mentioned there in the course of a day is, well, what about your food shop? What about the laundry? What about and kids make mess? Brother, do they make mess? <laughs> like you're washing clothes like crazy, right? And they're spilling food, like, you know, there's no one else to help you anymore. So you can find excuses or you can find a way. And in life, nowadays, everything's so convenient. You get food delivered, you can get prep meals delivered, you can get, you know, you've got no excuse. You haven't got to go and buy food and cook it. It's great if you have, but if you haven't got time, there's companies that will deliver you, you know, your macro counted meals to your door twice a week. There's lots of ways around lots of issues, you know, so you just have to find a way. When I was in the police force, I worked 12, 14 hour shifts and I worked nights and them nights would take me from, say, eight o'clock at night right through to eight o'clock in the morning. And I'd come home, I'd walk the dog, I'd go to bed. When I woke up four hours sleep later, I'd walk the dog again. At that time, I'd cook a whole like tray of chicken in the oven steam a load of rice in the rice cooker, a load of veg, come back, put all of that into tubs, say goodbye to the dog, go to work on the way to the work, stop at the gym, do another 14 hours. Like that was the single life I had prior to this. So I've always been busy, but you've got to find a way of making it happen. And and so there's no one else. When, when you know, the mum's like left, left the boys, if you like, it was tough on them, but it was also a realisation to me, like when I'd had them, even though we were separated, they were still half the onus was on them to bring the kids up the right way. Plus, you know, I've got half the time or, you know, sometimes off over a week where I've got some time without the kids. So there's some freedom there from that. Where Now it's all encompassing. And 
for a little while, for a month or so, it was a smack in the face for me. It was like, oh, shit, I've got to do all this now. Like, <laughs> shit the bed. Like, this is big. Like, th- these two boys are going to grow up because you grow up, I believe, in in the way that your, um, your upbringing has been stowed upon you. So your household, your parents, your upbringing turns you into the, the adult that you end up being. And I think... When this happened last year, I realised that now it's up to me to make these boys really good boys going forward because there's no one else to blame. There's no one else to do the job. So it was a bit of a, like a, you know, it was a very sort of nervous month for me to see about how we're going to do this, but you just got to find a way around it. And uh, at the, again, at the end of the day, when you are stuck with these uh, impossibilities that they seem at times... I do always refer back to that motorbike accident because when I was lying in that hospital for months and months on end, just moving my eyeballs and nothing else, I would give anything at that point to be able to be out of bed looking after two kids running them to school. Who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got to put things in perspective. It's not, you know, there are worse things in the world. Breathe, everyone. Breathe. I gotta breathe, Neil. That is un. You you are a you you're freaking super. As you're drinking your Superman drink, I was literally saying you are Superman. You are you are the definition of a no quit attitude. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for people to respond and send a message about this. Your past clients, your current clients, and your future clients globally. That they listen to this and they say, this is the trainer that you are getting. This is the person that you are. When you when you get on those calls, when I see you at the gym, when you pay me that money, because you're going to pay him that money, you're going to listen to this. And you're going to go, dang, I have no reason to complain. None. Now, we all do. Your, your, your story is, is, is unbelievable. Those listening to this go, man, I can't relate. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You, you can relate because it's all about a mindset. It's all about a decision to make. Am I going to let little things, st- am I going to trip over pebbles or am I just going to step over them? And we're going to make mountains out of molehills. Go through the cliche thing. What Neil is telling you is he says, I want to bring your ship to where my ship is. So all tides, all ships rise with the tides. One of the best sayings out there. You are hearing it on the podcast. That is what he is doing. He is saying, I have taken on all kinds of stuff. I am still here and I will make and extrapolate the best version of yourself. Man, this is so good. This is so freaking good, Neil. As we wrap up, as we have to, because of respecting of, of your time, tell us, Neil, tell us about what you're up to, what you're doing. People want to reach out to you. People want to get coaching. Give us those. We'll have all the links. Trust me, we'll have all the links on this. We'll have all the links on the post, the whole nine yards. Tell us what you're up to, what you're going. And then how can we follow you? How can we be inspired by you? And then how can we reach out to you? Yeah, lovely. Okay. So, um, so I mean, I, I live in the UK, but I coach people worldwide. I'd say probably 60, 70% of my clients are in America and Canada. Um, I'm actually 
currently can, um, in preparation for my fifth Mr. Universe. So I'm still doing it. I've promised myself I will still do this till I'm 50. So I'm 47 this year. I've got another three years in the tank, I'm sure. You know, my body still looks well enough to, to get on stage. And, and you know, I've always set a standard. And I think there's not many fantastic, like, physiques at 50. I want to be one of them before I, you know, take the competition down. But I will never take exercise out of my life, obviously. And I don't think anyone should because of the longevity factors of it. Um, now, I, I most of most people can reach me on Instagram. Like, and my, my name there is, is just my name, Neil Cranwell. It's spelled slightly differently, so just... Check that out on the links below. Um, or you can email me at info at neilcranwell.co.uk. They're the easiest ways to get hold of me. I am on other platforms, but I don't tend to look into them as much. Um, one thing I say to lots of my clients to sort of go away with, and maybe it'll help you guys out there, is when you feel like you're facing something you can't get past, I'll always say to people, whatever that might be, it could be as small as like eating breakfast, or it could be as, you know, as as big to you as running a marathon, but you know, when you think you've come up against a roadblock, they're never roadblocks, they're just speed bumps. And there's always a way around a speed bump. So don't ever get disheartened. Just always look at a brighter, a brighter picture and don't ever be afraid to ask for help. And, you know, what we haven't talked on, Cameron, in all of this is through all of these recoveries and, and all of these tragedies, if you like, I've always looked for mentors or advisors mm. or people to help me through it. So, you know, the best the best basketball player, perhaps of all time, Michael Jordan, he had a coach. There's nothing wrong with reaching your hand out if it helps you round the corner a lot quicker than you would yourself. I love that. Thank you for bringing that point up. That is an absolute gem of a point. Never be afraid to reach out for help. Never be afraid to get a mentor. Never be afraid to get somebody that you can go to that has really oftentimes is just a, a good listener. Mm. And that's great. Oh man, that's so great. Guys, before we wrap this up, and let me tell you, this has been an absolute gem of a, of a conversation, not even an interview, a conversation. Let me ask you this question, Neil. If you were to see your five-year-old self today, what do you think he would say to you? My five, when I was five, little baby five, yeah? Um, I don't know. He'd probably say that he wants to be a footballer and play for uh, AC Milan or one of the big teams then because that's what I was really into at five years old was always sports and football. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've got a five-year-old, funnily enough, <laughs> and when I ask him what he sees in his future, he wants to be an airline pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, that's so good. All right. As we wrap up, as before I let anybody go, I need give me five books that you would recommend, whether they're books uh, or podcasts. Uh, it could be personal development, spiritual, uh, business, whatever it is may be, but just give me five books. And if you have not written a book yet, I'm going to tell you right now, 2024, Neil will drop his book. He may not be thinking about writing a book, but by golly, this needs to be a book. It's funny, you know, funny, my brother come around yesterday and he said that to me, exactly that. And so I've got lots of guides. So if anyone on your podcast wants a guide on 
like your ultimate chess guide or a sleep guide or a health related guide. I've wrote lots of guides to help my clients, you know, have something tangible and, but they are just a guide. And my brother said to me last night, I don't know why you don't put all these together and send it, sell it as a book. Amazon will do it for you. But to answer your question, <laughs> top five books from me, I'm actually looking on my, uh, on my audible list now, because uh, you know, I think one of the best things we can do is de-associate ourselves with, you know, that blue screen get outside like you said go for an hour's walk listen to a podcast or an audible get some brain functionality going as well as get some physical exercise and i think it's a really good way of like detaching yourself from the stresses of the day um but probably my favorite book is the one i mentioned earlier which was atomic habits um that's one of my favorites what i'm reading at the moment is the 5am club if you've read that one um boundless by ben green is another my third sort of uh, on the list um and then most people know this one think and grow rich i love it you heard that one yeah love it and then finally the 10 times rule by grant grant cardone grant cardone yep yeah. oh and that but one one of my probably most over listened to books that i've listened to time and time again is the wolf on wall street Oh. you listen to that but that guy is on fire he is on fire i'm going to throw one in there because if you haven't uh rich dad poor dad neil no, thought really. of, neil brought it up uh you know he's like i got a brother we were you know, he even talked about it we got a, i have a brother and we've they've, they both have kind of taken separate paths i, I instantly thought of rich dad poor dad by uh, uh robert kiyosaki Phenomenal book. Phenomenal book. I need to ask this question. So the guides that you have, are they can people, where do they go to grab those guides? How do they pay for them? Are they free? And I will tell you this, go watch his YouTube channel. We will have his YouTube channel here. I have watched it multiple times. And the advice that he gives on that is fantastic. His Instagram page is phenomenal. He goes through the science behind when you're doing a big bolt chest workout, which I actually watched two days ago. It was amazing, but it's more than just go and grind it out like a bunch of meathead. It is why are you doing this specific work and what are you focusing on? He goes through the entire process. It is fantastic. So how do we get those guides that you have? Are they free? Are they downloadable? And if they are, you know, we'll put the link here. Yeah, so they are free. You just need to message me and I will send you the link across. And the best way to message me is through Instagram. <laughs> and my Instagram is my most up-to-date current with terms of videos. Um, so YouTube, it gets uploaded monthly, but these get uploaded daily. So there's always you know five stories a day and and new reels every day. So some of them, if you what if you just sign up to the Instagram the books will become part of your reel because, you know, if you follow me, they'll come across your feed. But if you message me on any of the topics that you have to struggle with, I'm fairly sure I have a book after doing this job for 27 <laughs> years that I've written to cure it. Not that it, you know, it necessarily needs curing, but sometimes you just need some sort of structure to work around an issue. Remember, it's just a speed bump. I love it. What a great way to end this, guys. This has been a phenomenal episode. Look, like it, share it, comment, DM Neil, DM me. Share this with somebody that you 
that needs to hear what I call a truth bomb. It's a punch right in your face, tells you to shut up, get off your butt, and go be special. Because if not, go look at, listen to this and play it to him. This is why this podcast last year was in the top 25% of the most shared globally. It is going to continue the trend. It's one of the fastest growing. It's because we have people like Neil who want to make this world better, who take time out of their day to give us masterclass knowledge. Man, this has been good. Guys, thank you so much. Neil, thank you. We love you. We appreciate you. This has been another episode of the Art Study of You. Have a wonderful day. I need to give a shout out to my biggest sponsor, Warrior Energy Drink. The reason why we partner together is because we have the same mindset. We have the same drive. We're, we're for the people. We're about the people. Look, Warrior Energy Drink has zero sugar options, and they got water as well. Low calories, great taste, very affordable, no crash. Big energy, fast, high in B vitamins, awesome, awesome design, culture design, 160 milligrams of caffeine. Other energy drinks have way, way too much, and they're always giving it back to their community. They're paying it forward. Partner with them. Guys, click the link below. Go, go get yourself your own Warrior Energy. Today.